You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. First Thessalonians chapter 5. We are continuing our series and we are, we are getting close to the end of uh, First Thessalonians. We'll have a one-week little pause. We'll have a, a fellow Sovereign Grace pastor in from Midland to preach, and then we will enter into Second Thessalonians, which will only be a few weeks. So, so First Thessalonians chapter 5 will be in verses 14 through 15 today. And so this little section falls still into this, this section of First Thessalonians where Paul is talking about very practical ways that we are to live as Christians. So very helpful, very simple, and very practical ways. Let's pray. Pray for the ministry of the Word. Lord, thank you for your good work in the church, Lord. Thank you for your saving grace, Lord. That why, why do we gather in here, Lord? Because you're gathering people to you. You're gathering lost sheep to the great shepherd. And Lord, today you are maturing sheep. Lord, you want to grow us, Lord. So you gather us to you, and now you are growing us in you. And so, Lord, we pray, may you do that good work through your Holy Spirit. May you mature us. May you grow us in you. Lord, help us to see areas where we're living that are not, that's not aligned with your word. Encourage us. Strengthen us. Do your good work today. Build your church that you would be exalted, and the glory of Christ would fill the earth. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church says, amen, amen. Follow along with me as I read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. In fifth grade, uh, I played my very first year of Little League football. My very first time playing organized football. I, I had watched football and I had a basic idea of the game of football, but it was different when it came time to actually play uh, football. I was timid to engage other players. I was afraid to hit, and I was definitely afraid to get hit. And there was a kid on the team who had played, or like since he was like kindergarten or something, had played, and they called him Gator. Just as from what I remember, looking back, if I were to, you know, if I were present day adult looking, he was probably, you know, this tall. But at that point that day, I remember like, this kid's huge, you know, <laughs> his name's Gator. I was terrified to be hit by Gator, you know. Uh, so it was one of these experiences. And so I didn't know much. Uh, I was pretty timid. Uh, it was a very hard experience for me. Um, and because of that, because I was afraid and I, I didn't know much of how to play this game, I didn't play a whole lot. I didn't play a whole lot. In fact, I, I wore the team jersey. 
I would you know, show up to practices. I suited up in my pads. I was a part of the team by name and by affiliation. But when it came time to the game, I, I was sitting on the sidelines. I was sitting on the sidelines in fifth grade for the Broncos. That was do it. I grew accustomed to cheering for the team. I'd give all my energy first half. Yes, go guys, go. And then halftime would come, which was my favorite moment of the game, because there were snacks. Snacks were given in Little League football, and so you had oranges and a Capri Sun juice pouch, and that was my favorite moment of the, of the game. And, and then the rest of the game would go, and I would spend my time pretty much daydreaming, just kind of watching, but not really there, just kind of daydreaming about the game. I, I grew accustomed to uh, observing and not really participating in what was happening. That is, until one game, almost out of nowhere, all of a sudden, the coach calls my name, Estrada, get in the game. And he was a pretty vicious coach. Oh, man, Coach Frazier. Oh, man, tough guy. Get in the game. And I was very much caught off guard. I was in the middle of daydreaming. I was just kind of jolted out of, like, Whoa, I was kind of, you know, you know, he woke me up with his yell and scream. I wasn't prepared at all to get into the game. And, and so it was one of these moments I was kind of just here. I, I, okay, I guess I buckle my helmet and then I step onto the field. And he just grabs me at that point. I think he could tell, like, this kid doesn't even know. <laughs> he doesn't even know how to get into the game. And, and he grabs me and kind of wakes me up, jolts me a little bit. says, now get into the game. And he sends me on in. That day, that day, I went from being an observer to being a participant. That day, I went from watching it all happen to actually being a part of what was happening. And it was a big day. It's a big day for me. I went on to play football, you know, until I graduated school and all that. I enjoyed playing football from that point on. That day, the coach wanted me to move from being an observer to a participant. Today's verses, the scripture passage we're in today, Paul, under the compelling work of the Spirit of God, is writing to the church in Thessalonica and is calling them and us, calling the present-day church to not just be observers of what's happening in the church, but to participate in the life of the church, specifically in the loving care of the church. So I know often when we talk about participating, it's like, oh, you know, you got to give, you got to get, get on the praise band. Uh, you know, we, we, we need people, you know, and we do. We want people to serve, to be vibrantly serving. But I think often the focus of participation is in things like that. We just want to get big and, and just, you know, have a good praise band. We don't have, we don't have drums, you know, so we, need, we definitely need a drummer. Um, what we're talking about today is participating in caring for one another, caring for the life of the church, loving one another. Paul is wanting to move the church from being observers to being participants in the loving care of the church. So today, here's what we're going to see. Here's what we're going to see. That the church's ministry of care, the church's ministry of care is this very courageous, intentional, personal, and loving support and concern for one another that goes beyond the pastors of the church that goes beyond the pastors of the church and is to actually permeate, is to get into every single life member 
of the church community. Care in the church is to permeate. It's, it's really to be something that we all are called to participate in. So then, church care ministry or the care ministry of the church really is an every member ministry. It's an every member ministry. Every member of the church called to participate in the ongoing ministry of care in the church. And as we make our way through this little passage today, we'll see some very simple yet specific ways we are called to actively care for one another in the church. And then in the end, in the end, we'll see how the good that we are to pursue for one another is actually supposed to go beyond the church. So, so care ministry goes beyond the pastors. And then the good that we seek for one another actually goes beyond the church. That's what we're going to see today. So, so let's, let's dive in. First point that we see in this passage is who is called to care for the church? Who is called to care for the church? So the point is a question. Who is called to care for the church? Uh, in talking about care for the church in verses 14 through 15, notice Paul isn't addressing just the pastors. He doesn't start off saying, pastors, elders. He says, we urge you brothers. And we've heard already in this letter how Paul has used some of that word brothers. Even last Sunday, we heard this, that he's using that word not just to mean the men in the church or not just to mean the pastors in the church. It's actually a word that can be used in this context, especially as brothers and sisters. It's brethren. It's, it's saints of the Lord in a sense. The, the, the brothers and sisters in this church, he's addressing the whole church in this. So the point is, as he's addressing everyone, we urge you brothers or brothers and sisters. The point is, he's addressing the whole congregation in talking about the care of the church. And why is that important? Why is it important for us to see that? When normally we would just brush over that. We urge you brothers. Okay, we're going to move on. Why is it important for us to see that? Because we can often approach the topic of care for the church we can often approach that topic as if it is only the pastors and the deacons or other leaders within the church community who are to take on the responsibility of caring for the church. That is a temptation for every believer. I, I actually had at one point, I remembered talking to a, a guy saying, hey, can you pursue this person? Can you go kind of reach out to them? And do you know what this Christian says? And I don't, I love this person. They're not in this church. I, I love this person and I don't hold anything against them, but I think we're all tempted to this. Do you know what he said? He said, isn't that your job? We can all be tempted to think that care in the church falls only on certain people in the church. We're all tempted to this. I think every church is tempted to this. Every believer is tempted to think that, that church care ministry is only to be done by a select few. And so what we see happen in the church is that we become care ministry observers. 
We become ministry observers rather than participants. We can avoid concerning ourselves with the labor of leaning into one another's lives for the good and benefit of another person because we think that's someone else's responsibility. Now, I do know, and we know, we've seen 1 Thessalonians, that church leaders, pastors, are to care for the church. That's one of the duties they are to be giving. As under-shepherds of the great shepherd, there is to be a care that they are exhibiting for the sheep of Christ, for the family of Christ. They are to care for God's people, but they are not designed to be the only means of care for the church. Pastors and leaders and deacons and fellowship group leaders are not designed to be the only means of care in the church, and they are definitely not called to carry all of the care ministry alone. Churches that fall into this, churches that are tempted with this and then begin to live this out, become pastor-centered churches where everybody just sits. Yeah, I, I, I am so grateful for the movie theater that we're in. I am so grateful. God has provided that as a means for us to have a place to meet. They don't charge us a whole lot. They've been very welcoming to us. I am so glad. Just don't be tempted because often when you come into a movie theater, the temp- the, you're coming in to just kick back and sit and watch. And we don't want that to tempt our hearts. We don't want to take that into our heart posture to just kick back in my chair and sit and watch care happen in the life of the church. The temptation is that we become pastor-centered churches and we're just going to watch the, the leaders do things. That's your job, isn't it? And you're supposed to care. And so we just kind of leave it all up to them. And we start to look at pastors like they're the professionals. Well, who, who's going to care for Billy over here? Who's going to care for Jill? Well, leave it to the professionals. (laughs) Send them. But what happens is then the church begins to lack in care. The church begins to kind of sit back and isn't vibrant and living in faith and living towards one another. Because pastors are finite and limited men, with only so much time and energy and all that kind of stuff, because they're limited, what happens is people stop being cared for. Not everybody gets cared for. And so now you have a church that is lacking care and people are dry and they need, they need care and comfort and to be encouraged and stirred on. And they become dull and, and the church ministry of the, of, in, the, in the life of the church begins to shrivel up like, like little dry grapes. There was once life there, and it begins to shrivel up. We need church care in the life of the church. And why is care so important? Why, why, why is that such a big deal? Why does it affect the church so, so in such big ways and impactful ways? Well, well listen to this. I think here's my, here's my take. I'm not going to define care, but I want to describe care to you. I think this is what care in the church looks like. So listen to this. Care in the church looks like this. Concerning yourself with the good of another. Leaning into into their life with love. Praying with and for them. Speaking truth in love to them. 
coming alongside and just helping them. Knowing them. Helping them know what's true about God. Helping them know the present-day realities of what God has done for them in Christ. Helping them know what's true about their circumstances. Helping them know how to rightly respond to these truths. Helping them know Christ more. I think that is Christian care in the life of the church. So let me ask you, does that describe how you approach others in the church? Are you helping them know Christ more? Are you knowing them? Are you coming alongside and practically helping? Are you bringing God's truth to bear on their circumstances and their hearts? Well, let me encourage you. I think many of you are. I think this church, by God's grace, he's poured out his love in you and you are excelling in some of these things. But we must not think that we've arrived. The word of God has this for us today and so we want to we grow. We want to grow in this today. So do you, does that describe you? Are you actively participating in care for the church? So when the church is missing that, it becomes a self-centered church. We stop caring about others, and we care more about me, more about self. But the Scripture paints a different picture for us. The Scripture paints a different picture for us in how ministry in the local church is to be done. In Ephesians chapter 4, so we'll put this up on the screen here. Ephesians chapter 4, listen to this. He says, and he gave, so in Christ, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then in verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It doesn't say leaders in the church are to do all the ministry. It says leaders in the church are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And as the body is working, it builds itself up in love. Here's what I love. Here's what I love about this. That word equip that Paul uses at the beginning of that, that, that these leaders are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Do you know what that, that word has historical connections into it, of being a medical term? A medical term that was used, yeah, oh, I love this. It was used for when bones were broken and they would come in and put bones in place. It's a little bit different than how we often think of equip. But it was to take broken bones and put them in the right order, in the right place, which makes total sense why Paul would use that word and then the rest of the verses. Look up there. The rest of the passage, what is he talking about? The body of Christ. And when the joints, the church, the people, the saints, these joints are put into place to work properly, the body begins to move 
and work rightly and accurately. And it begins to be able to be strong and healthy and do the work that the body was actually called to do. Isn't that sweet? Oh, I love that. I love that. I just love digging into the Word here. So, so then we are then to move from observers to active participants in caring for one another. The joints, picture yourself that way. You might think, I'm a new believer, or I don't have a lot to offer. I don't have an education. I don't have a you know, high-paying job. I'm not smart. I don't read a lot. I can't read. Whatever it is, that doesn't matter. The Bible doesn't say anything about those things. It says if you're a part of the body of Christ, then you're a joint. You're a bone in the body. Bones are important. <laughs> Bones are so important. So, so you have a place to be a part of the body in the body of Christ. It's already a place for you. So the church is called to this work. Who, who is called to care for the church? The whole church. The whole church is called to care for the church. The whole church. It's a, it's a every member ministry. Everybody involved in caring for one another. So then, the rest of the sermon, Paul moves from calling all of us ministry. So you see how important those words are? We urge you, brothers and sisters, so important, so important, because none of us are off the hook. So important. And now he moves the rest, of the, the rest of this passage and the rest of the sermon. He goes from calling us all into the care ministry of the church to then, what does that look like? How are we called to care for the church? So first, how are we called to care for the church? He says, admonish the idol admonish the idol. If you remember last week's verses, or if you look at verse 12 in your Bible, you remember that Paul was talking about the role of leaders, pastors who are laboring for the good of the church and have the spiritual oversight of the church. And one way that they practice that spiritual oversight is they are to admonish the church. They admonish the church. But what does Paul do in the very next verses? He talks to the church And he says, you are to admonish the idol. So admonishment, so it's just another one of these moments. It's not all the pastor's role. It's everybody's role. So admonish the church. So to admonish means to warn or to instruct. So it's to give counsel to someone as to warn them and help them through instruction so that they will avoid Sinful or improper living, which includes our conduct, our way of speaking, our way of thinking. Admonishment is to come alongside, to see that they're entrapped, or to see that there is sin, and to say, to warn them, to warn a brother or a sister, and to instruct them on the right way to go. So it's warning them that if you remain in this sin, or if you keep going on that path, There is destruction there. It is the opposite of God's word, of what he delights in and what he wants for you. And so you're warning them, and then you're also instructing them on the right path. This is the way to go. Admonish the idol, he says specifically, the idol. This is the second time in this letter that he has talked about those who are idle among them. It must have been a really big issue in the church and in Thessalonica. 
it must have been a really big issue because not only is this the second time, he's going to talk about it again at greater length in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Idleness must have been a big deal there. Listen to what he says. I'm not going to read the whole thing out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, but, but listen to what he says. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. So what were they doing? They were doing a whole lot of nothing, right? Acting kind of like they're busy, but really doing nothing. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. There were people who were physically idle, yet able to work, but were not willing to work. There was a physical idleness that was happening in the church there, a physical idleness where they were willing to not work, though they were able, and they were more willing to be dependent on the work of others so that they could be financially provided for. There is a difference, saints. Hear this. There is a difference between someone who is not able to work versus someone who is able yet unwilling to work. There's a difference. So physical idleness definitely was an issue in the church. But physical idleness reveals spiritual idleness. A physical idleness reveals a spiritual idleness, a a heart that's looking out for their own good, even if it puts others' good at risk, a heart that's unwilling to sacrifice but expects others to sacrifice for them. That's not reflective of the sacrificial heart of God the Father or Christ the Son, who gave himself for the good of others and counted others as more highly than himself. So there is both this, we may not be wrestling with physical idleness in the church, but physical idleness is connected to spiritual idleness. And often I think in our context, we wrestle with spiritual idleness. This, this, This complacency and kind of becoming lazy in our pursuit of Christ We can become idle in prayer, in the Word, in gathering with the church, in sharing the gospel, in care ministry, on and on. There there are the reality of what we read here, because we can often think, okay, admonish the idle, and then we start looking for the idle. Who's idle? We've got to admonish them. But the reality is, precious saints, We are all called to admonish the idol, but at some point, and probably in some parts of our lives, we are all wrestling or dealing with idleness. We are all tempted and susceptible to becoming the idol. So so when we realize that, it enables for our admonishment to be truth-drenched and love saturated because we recognize it's not always looking out at everybody else and saying, where's the idle person? So we can admonish them. It's recognizing and saying, we all wrestle with idleness in some degree. Where am I idle? 
And then when we do come across a precious saint who's, who's in idleness, whether, whether physical or spiritual, we have a heart of compassion to deal with them as we would want to be dealt with. So, so it's interesting because we could read those passages and, and just start thinking outside of ourselves, but really we are, we are the all susceptible to idleness. So we are to admonish the idle, recognizing we are all susceptible to become idle. He goes on, how are we called to care for the church? Second, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. We, we are to be leaning with love into one another's lives in such a way where we know them enough. So we know them, key, we know them enough to know where they are discouraged, to know where, where they are lowly in spirit, or to recognize. I've had a brother do that before, even just a few weeks ago. I had a brother in this church come up before service and just say, hey, brother, how are you doing? He could tell something was going on. And how, how could he tell? Because he knows me. He knows me. He's leaning into my life to know me. And so we are, we're knowing one another. We're leaning into one another to recognize when, when someone is discouraged or lowly in spirit and maybe even grieved by life's troubles. And not only that, but it's this mutual recognizing that, that I need to be known in the church. It's not okay to not be known in the church. It's so, it's so wild. Sometimes we can slip into this airport mentality. Have you ever been in an airport? Airports are packed full of people packed full of people, yet can be one of the most loneliest places in the world because no one wants to talk to you. Everybody's zipping by each other. No one's interested in having a good long conversation about your heart, right? No one's caring about how you're doing. I'm trying to get to Dallas and to Houston and to Florida and wherever I'm trying to go. I'm looking past you. And sometimes we can bring that kind of heart and mentality into the church life knowing one another and leaning in to know one another is so important and so pivotal in caring for one another in the life of the church. Being willing to know one another, to move towards people. Here's the reality. The the, the Thessalonian church had been enduring great difficulty. They were persecuted for their faith. People had died There is relational strife among them. They don't have much. Encouragement was needed. Some churches are heavy on admonishment. Who's in sin? Boom, I'm on you. Who's in sin? Oh, I'm on you. Now, do we need to be aware of sin? Yes, we need to admonish the idol. We, We are aware of sin in one another's lives and calling us in truth to repent and turn. But the church needs encouragement too. Brothers and sisters, we may not be in Thessalonica, but we live in a a hard world. We live in a troublesome, difficult world with all kinds of hard circumstances. We need encouragement. I've been been around guys, and often guys can wrestle with this. I, I don't need encouragement. No, we all live in a sin fallen world and you wrestle with sin, and we have fallen bodies who are being sanctified, we all need encouragement. And if you think you don't need encouragement, the odds are you're going to think someone else doesn't need encouragement. The church needed encouragement because the church lives in a hard place. 
And when hard things come, here's what it's like. It's like when, when difficulty comes, it's like you entering into the fog of faint heartedness. Difficulty is like that fog that comes and all of a sudden it becomes hard to see. The fog of faint heartedness. I think of, a, of, an, of an airplane pilot who's flying and, and as they're flying and all of a sudden they come into the clouds or they come into fog and they can't see a thing. And what do they need? They need someone outside of themselves who's not in the fog to radio in. They need the tower to radio in and tell them, you're going the right direction. Your altitude, you're pointed the right way. They need the instruments to help them see what's true about where they are and where they're going. Precious saints, when we come alongside one another in encouragement, It is as the radio tower to the airplane in the fog. It is the Christian coming alongside the brother and sister and saying, let me help you see in the midst of the fog. Let me help you see what's true about what you're going through. Let me help you see what's true about God. Let me help you see what's true about yourself, about your relationship with him and his relationship with you in the midst of this. We are coming alongside the Christian in the fog of faint-heartedness when we give encouragement to speak truth to them, to help them know truth, to help them see truth of God. And it's not just coming alongside them. There was one time, I'm sure I've shared this story before, there was one time, you know, wrestling with with Danielle and I had 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 a little argument, and I'm wrestling with that, and and I I go to a brother for help. Like, brother, help me! I'm, my heart's discouraged, and 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 the word he gave was, and this is just so funny, and I love this brother, but but it was, this is was his was his encouragement was, well, men are from Mars, and women are from Venus. That was his encouragement to me. That was not truth saturated encouragement that helped me know God in my circumstance and helped me get through the fog of the moment. If anything, it was like blowing in more fog into the, like, what? What? what's happening? What? Precious saints, they don't need pithy statements. We don't need pithy statements from one another in those moments. We don't need platitudes. We need the truth of God's word. We need God. We need to know God in the midst of our fog and faint-heartedness. We need to know our position with Christ in the midst of that. We need to know how he cares for us in those moments. We need passages like this. Isaiah 57, 15. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says this. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. We need passages like Isaiah 35, 3 through 4. Listen to this call of the word of God. Strengthen the weak hands. Steady the shaking knees, O saints. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong. 
fear not. And why? Why? Here is your God. Here is your God. He will come and save you. Oh, precious saints, we don't need men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Point me to my God and remind me that he is the God who dwells in all of eternity. And this fog that I cannot see, he is still reigning supreme over me. That's what we need. We need truths, precious saints. That's what encouragement is, to come alongside a weary, faint-hearted saint and to impart courage into their heart. But it's not courage rooted in them. It's courage rooted in the God who keeps them. Oh, my. Oh, my. Encourage the faint-hearted, he says. So it's a, it's a truth-saturated ministry. It, it's part of, part. if you've noticed already, admonishment and, tr- and, and encouragement are rooted. What do we give people? It's rooted in knowing God's Word. So in ourselves, now we don't have to be pros. We don't have to be able to quote all these verses. I mean, there are guys, I'll say this about Danielle. I so admire her. I did not grow up in the church. I did not grow up going to a private school. She had the blessing of growing up in a church and going to a Christian private school where she got to memorize passages of the scripture from like third grade or something to where she still remembers. She can fire off. I'm, I can't even remember message passages like she can. There are people like that. We're growing from one another and with one another. We don't, we don't have to be pros in the Bible of knowing, the, knowing God's word, but we do need to know God's word. You don't have to be a pro. You don't have to be a professional. But you do need to know God's word, even if it's a humble knowing. Because what do we give people? If we don't have his word to give, us out of, to give them out of our hearts, then all we're going to resort to is men are from Mars and women are from Venus. We're going res- to resort to knowledge of the world that isn't going to serve to care for one another. Let's keep going. How are we called to care for the church? Number three, help the weak. Help the weak. And these are so simple, right? Like, like you could easily just say, help the weak, and then I walk off the, the stage. Like, you know, they're so simple. But listen to this. Listen to this. Weakness can take all sorts of forms in the life of the Christian canton. We don't know exactly what Paul is pinpointing when he says, help the weak. But weakness can look like sin, We're struggling in sin. We're weak. Weakness can look like physical ailments. Weakness can look like sickness. Weakness can look like growing old and frail in our bodies. Weakness can look like affliction, persecution. Weakness can look like provision or a lack of provision. On and on. The point is, we're called to enter into one another's lives and to help one another. Sometimes I think when we, we could see that word, help one another, like help the weak. And I think, <laughs> I think we can kind of treat that word kind of casually, like help, help one another. All right. But Paul is giving us, Pastor Rob said last week, these are 18, in, this, in all these verses, 18 commands of God. These are commands. So help the weak 
is, is not casual. It, it, it's not something that just to take lightly, like, oh, every once in a while I'm, I might just kind of take casually. No, these are commands. Listen to what help literally describes. To intently and intensely take on a concern for someone. To intently, you're purposing, you're looking, and you're saying, I am purposing to take up that concern. And not just intently, but intensely. I am moving towards them to take it on myself. And then listen to the second half. To cling to them, which another word that's used biblically for that, to hold fast to them. To to come and intently and intensely see the need of another and say, I am going to take on that need because I care for them. And I'm going to cling to them and hold fast to them. That is help. That is the word help. So when the word tells us in Hebrews 13, verse 6, says this, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Why can we not fear when we know the Lord is our helper? Because he has looked intently through Christ and intensely upon you. And has said, I am taking up their concern as my concern. And I am clinging to them and holding fast to them. So I will not fear. For my God is my helper. The ministry of care in the church and helping the weak is reflective of God's heart of help for his people. We reflect the heart of Christ. So then, help, help for the weak is not something that we're to despise doing. It's not something that's just supposed to, like every once in a while I get sucked into it because someone else isn't helping. <laughs> like, ah, oh, I got to do it again. It's something that we all are eagerly leaning into and intently watching for. To lean into someone's life. When we help, it's as if it's this extension of this great help of our Lord for his people. So it's something we're to eagerly do. When someone comes for help, is that something you eagerly lean into? Or is it something, here we go again. (sighs) So tired of helping this person. Fourth, how are we called to care for the church? Be patient with them all. Even in the midst of our sin failures, the scripture shows us that our God is a patient God. Our God is a patient God who loves us 
and so forbears with us, who is willing to long suffer with us. So, so it makes sense then that as he makes us his redeemed people and he brings us into his family, that he would call his sons and daughters to reflect the heart of the father and the great son. It makes sense that he would call us to that, that he would call us into this reflection of our father to deal with one another in the same way he deals with us. We're told in Galatians 5 that as the Spirit of God is is at work within us, sanctifying us to make us live out a holy life as He is holy and otherworldly, right? Our God is otherworldly. He's not like this world. One fruit of the Spirit that is working within us is patience, isn't it? It's patience. How is the Spirit working in his people, to make us reflect our God and to stand as otherworldly in this sin-fallen world. He's taking impatient people, selfishly ambitious people, demanding people, people who are prone to sinful wrath, and he's making us patient, like he's patient. Those are precious truths. Think about that, precious saints. We don't think about patience. Oh my, I was so convicted by this this week. And do you know why? Because I am not often patient with my children like I should be. I, 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 I'm, I'm reading through this and I'm, I'm seeing, oh my, patience isn't just like some small thing. We think of patience as like, oh, I just need to be more patient. No, when we walk in patience, it is we are walking as image bearers of the great one who is most patient. And so when we walk in patience with one another, we are actually bearing his image to a watching world. Patience is the fruit of the Spirit, which is working to to sanctify us and make us more like our our God. And as I came across that and was seeing this, like it's not just be patient with them all, it's, oh my, it is to be image bearers of the patience of God that I have received that I then extend to others. The Lord did some wonderful work in my own heart in light of that truth this week. Oh, Lord, help me to reflect you with my kids when they're disobedient. Help me to reflect you when I'm driving through the city in patience. Help me to, help me to reflect you when I'm dealing with brothers and sisters in, in Christ. Image bearers. Last, how are we called to care for the church? Do good to all, he says. Do good to all. Verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Goodness is having a heart posture that is actively seeking and working for the benefit of another, purposing to do them good even when they don't deserve it. That is goodness. We also hear, right? That's another fruit of the Spirit, the Lord working within us. Goodness, purposing to do good, to do what's right and what's righteous towards someone for their benefit, even when they don't deserve it. Goodness. 
I don't know about you, but I don't often feel that way. You treat me bad. I don't want to treat you good. Do good towards you. The Spirit is working in us, precious saints, because here's the thing. We often see young kids wrestle with that, right? They're on the playground, they're playing, they're doing something, and one gets mad at the other, they hit that one or kick them or something, and what do they do? They respond in retaliation with vengeance. Vengeance to say, I'm giving you back what you gave me. Precious saints, that's a small little bite-sized version of what's really in our hearts. We love vengeance. We love to repay evil for evil. So what they're showing as these little hearts, even from little, little ages, newborns, is really reflective of what's hidden in my heart as an adult. And so the Spirit is working in us, calling us to participate in the care of the church. He's working to transform us from our sinful tendencies and love for vengeance and revenge when someone wrongs us. He's working in our hearts that we would reflect His heart. Listen to this. God has created people, men and women all over this world for generations upon generations have lived in this world and in sin, how have they responded to their Creator? They shake their fist at God. They curse Him. And they say, I will not worship you. His creation, whom he says he created for him. And creation says, I'm I'm not going to worship you. And so what could God rightfully do right away? Crush us. But listen to this. Listen to his heart of goodness. Psalm 145, verses 8 through 9 says this. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. So how is His goodness reflected then? In the Lord's goodness, He sends rain on the wicked man's crops. In the Lord's goodness, He provides food that fills up the wicked boy's belly who curses God and then eats the food that God has provided. In God's goodness, He provides shelter for the wicked woman and her family. And in God's goodness, He provides a way of salvation for them all. So when we refuse to do good, when we respond in vengeance with our hearts, we're denying the beautiful image that Christ has laid upon us as He's redeemed us. For it's it's broken. That's a broken image when we of reflecting Christ, and Christ is wanting to restore that image so that we reflect Him rightly. And beautifully. The church is to reflect the goodness of God to one another. And then he adds this incredible part to, to everyone. 
So as we all join in and, and participate, precious saints, in this God-reflecting ministry of care in the church, we are beautifully bearing the image of God among one another. That, that's what this is. The, care for one another is reflecting the heart of God to one another. That's what's happening. So when we lack in a care for one another, we're lacking in reflecting and bearing the image of our God among one another. Think of it that way, precious saints. But here, here's what I love in, in closing in this. Precious saints, none of us, we can go down that list, admonish one another, so warn and instruct and come alongside a brother, encourage, help, be patient, do good. We often have fallen short, haven't we? We have failed over and over and over again. Precious saints, I look at this passage and I say, wow, Lord, I, I, <laughs> I want to be the one who's admonishing. I want to be the one who's encouraging. I want to be the one who's patient and good. And, but often, where do I fall? I'm the idle. I'm the faint-hearted. I'm the weak one. I'm the one who needs patience. I need your patience for me. I'm the one who's rebelling and needs your goodness towards me. And then we can look to our precious Savior in all the ways we have fallen and say, oh, I am so glad because in Christ, he has perfectly fulfilled every single one of these commands where we have failed, precious saints. And isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? So then where do we look? I love it. Pastor Rob last Sunday said this, God gives grace for every command he gives us. So in Christ, as we look to Christ, who perfectly fulfilled all of these in our place, as he calls us to join him in this, what does he give? He gives grace where it is needed to follow him and to obey him and to serve him. And where we do fail, precious saints, for those who are in Christ, there is forgiveness. Oh, praise God for that, right? Praise God. So here's our prayer. Here's our prayer. We, we want the Lord to grow us in these ways, though. We want to be a church that's growing in this culture of care, to, that has this community of care for one another, that's bearing the image of God and goodness and patience and warning and encouragement towards one another and help towards one another. We want to grow in this. And precious saints, we want to walk this out in all the opportunities we have. So Precious saints, it's leaning into one another. We're going back to that, that definition of care or that, that display of care. It's leaning into one another's lives, digging into the word of God so that we have the word in order to give to that person when we lean into their life. It's moving towards one another to know them as Christ has moved towards us to know us. It's warning one another as the Lord graciously gives his spirit to warn us whenever we've gone into sin. He gives us one another to warn one another. And we do that in moments like before church when we're talking to one another. We do that in moments like in our greeting time. We do that in moments like after church when we're going to have prayer in a second. We do that in moments in our fellowship group. We do that in moments when we're calling one another and checking in on one another or when we're texting each other. We want to actively pursue growing in this, but we want to grow in grace realizing and knowing that the only way we grow in this is by looking to our Savior who has perfectly walked in this and can help us.